Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your plant material inside or out, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And, Mr. Kelly, before you slip out, how was your New Year's? It was nice, very mellow, just uh, hung out, watched the, uh, the, the Blues hockey game, and went to sleep. Whoa, yeah. did you stay up till midnight? No, did not. It was oh. close, though. That was an 8 o'clock game, so it was like 11. <laughs> it was it was that 11. It was midnight Eastern time, <laughs> so, you know, pretty close. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, but, you know, I realize that at midnight nothing, you know, really changes. I mean, I don't, like, all I do is get older. You don't run outside naked or anything? Uh, You know, did I? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> Not this year. And yes. Just out of curiosity, we talked uh, either last week or a couple weeks ago about your holiday decorations. Mm-hmm. Have you taken them down yet? Started to. We have uh, the, the boxes are ready to go. So a lot of it's down, and today and tomorrow I'll be spending time taking them back out to the garage. <laughs> so, yep, that time so of year. you don't worry about them freezing? No, no. It preserves them. Uh, yeah. yeah. It keeps them fresh for next year. Very good. Well, great. <laughs> How about you? Are, are you still decorated? Uh, no. Well, it's starting to melt. So, Starting to melt? Yes. Take it down slowly but surely. Oh, okay. And then today, after the show, most of the outside stuff's going to come down. See, today would be a cold day outside to take it. My stuff outside was down. Yeah. Weather was nice. Get it out of there. <sighs> so, good luck. I know. Bundle up. I'll be Frozen, the movie. Frozen 3, <laughs> Mike Miller. The Mike Miller story. <laughs> We'll have Mark Reardon review that next week. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. If I I can't talk, I'm frozen. Anyway, Saturday mornings we get together and we have a roundtable discussion. What's impacting your backyard? How about your front yard, your side yard? How about those winds? Man, oh, man. I thought I was almost through with the leaves, but uh, more leaves are coming up out of the park, across the street, and into my yard. <sighs> So I'm going to be doing that besides taking holiday decorations down today. So raking some leaves. And uh, how about your specialty garden space? How's it looking? How about their houseplants? Are they doing well? You ever wonder what the difference between potting mix and potting soil is? Do you need to improve your soils before you start doing this? Is it okay to put uh, tomatoes back in the same place where you planted them last year? Should you do any pruning or shearing or anything this time of year? especially on your evergreens. Would that be advisable? And information that I share with you is hopefully to help you make good decisions, smart decisions, and it's always going to be your final judgment. And so, by the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me over to your home, or maybe you're listening in your car, or maybe you're listening who knows where. But uh, another important player in the game is Alex. He's here again producing And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. 
And I can come to your home to do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to have a look around, which I call a walk and talk. My website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. So anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tracy always asked me on a Friday night, you know where you're going to take your walk tomorrow? I said, no, I never know until I get up and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of make a decision at that time. So today I was thinking, where haven't I been for a little bit for a while? And so I thought, well, I'm going to head down on Broadway at Merrimack. That was my destination today. Historic building is there, and it sits facing Merrimack. There's uh, archways that go through the building and some great brick detailing over the arched windows. There's a boxwood hedge, and there's some boxwood along the foundation plantings as well. I believe they're forsythia. It's a little hard to tell what shrubs are, you know, when they're deciduous and also when they've been pruned. And it gives a nice touch to this uh, building just kind of in general. And the building, I don't know how old it is. I keep looking around. I don't see any kind of date or anything. But anyway, there are some newly installed trees, and uh, they all have corrugated black plastic pipe around the base of them to keep anything from, let's say, chewing on the bottom of the tree. There's a 30-foot, you know, or 30-inch caliper uh, sycamore tree that stands on the corner of Broadway in Merrimack. And with its exfoliating bark. Now, where is this, by the way? It's called Mini Wood Memorial Square. And then behind uh, the pavilion there that I just described, there is a brand new playground. Two separate playgrounds, actually. One is for two to five-year-olds, and the other playground is for five to 12-year-olds. And as I started to walk across this really cushioned matting, a robin was sitting there. And acted like, you're really disturbing me. I just want to sit on this mat. So finally I got about a foot away from it, and then it decided to fly up into a tree that was close by and uh, started squawking at me or whatever, you know, you can say a robin makes as far as the sound goes. There's benches all over the place so you can sit down. There's also a, a soccer field that runs northward and there are various deciduous trees that are kind of dotted around, you know, several locations. Majority of them are crab apples. And again, it's a little tough to tell because I usually take my stroll and it was, I mean, it was so dark and everything else. I mean, but anyway, crab apples and a few other things as well. There's a bunch of street trees that really create a nice setting. There's also a ball field that sits there where the backstop was waiting for warmer weather. And then there's an octagon uh, fountain, and it's mimicking the same thing. Like, when's warmer weather going to come so I can be turned on? And uh, the lawn is a mixture of tan and greens, just like all park you know, lawns are. There's some bike, st- uh, bike stands there that invites riders to stop by and just take it easy. And uh, it was an early morning down on Broadway, and... Uh, all of a sudden, I said, well, I'm starting to get a little cool because of the breeze and everything else. So I thought, well, I should go ahead and head up to KMWX. So if you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to 2020. And if you have any questions, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You know, I've been doing this show for a long time. Maybe I've 
done so much information that nobody needs to listen to the show or call in anymore because they already know everything. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, a couple things you can be doing uh, without getting out into the cold weather today. If you do have or you had, let's say, summertime tubers, bulbs, those sorts of things like uh, dahlias, cannas, elephant ears, caladiums, and you've got them stored in your basement or wherever you store them. Actually, this year I decided to store some in the basement and just left some in the garage just to see what you know what's going to happen in the garage circumstance out of curiosity. But uh, So just go down and check them, and if you st- just give them a feel. If they feel soft or anything, make sure that any of the soft ones you get rid of, also give them a smell, and if they start smelling bad, uh, get rid of those as soon as you possibly can. So those that's one of the things you can be doing right now. <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough. And this time of year, sometimes we want to get out and do some pruning on some trees and things like that. But you're best not to prune maples, beech, or birch trees this time of year because they have heavy sap flow in the wintertime, and it could be problematic. Also, any of the needle or broadleaf evergreens, uh, don't be doing any kind of pruning because we do not have any kind of idea of what the weather is going to be like. So just, uh, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. That looks like our first caller of the day is Joan. Hi, Joan. How are you? Good morning, Mike. I enjoy your show so much. Well, thank you. I am interested in planting a little fig tree and a tree peony, I think it is. And I was wondering, well, we're in on a hillside and it is a little rocky. And I was wondering where would be a good location to put these? Uh, Well, they both want, so you're talking about the hardy fig, right? Oh, yes. Okay. So they both really probably want a little bit better soil than just, you know, a rocky slope. So if you've got a circumstance where you've got some soil, you know, or you can build like a kind of a semicircular, let's say, wall and then backfill it with a combination of uh, topsoil and compost together and plant them in that. But just to plant them in the rocks, I don't know if that's going to be, you know, really all well, that good for them. Um, there's deer, too, that I have to worry oh. about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm going to put the fig tree up close to the house. Okay. Not too close. They're not going to get big, but, you know, don't put it too close and make sure that the shadow of the house is not going to impact it. So it wants to get as much light as possible. Where I see the most successful ones is in the Hill neighborhood here in the city. And uh, they're a lot of times, the majority of the time in backyards where they're in full sun all day long, every day. Oh, good. Uh, Would that be, I think they call it a turkey fig? Uh, Probably is, yes. Okay, okay. I've heard of those. And the tree peony I've seen at the Botanical Garden, um, would that take some shade? Could I plant it in partial shade? Uh, I would not do that. I mean, it's okay, but uh, if you want the most robust growth out of it, you should probably put it in full sun all day long every day. Okay, and it, how tall do they grow, about three feet? Uh, no, they get a little bit taller than that, probably any up to five feet or so. Oh, nice. Okay, 
any a particular um, species or anything that you would suggest on that? Not with the tree peonies. They're kind of a little bit difficult to find. So I would say you know, I would get it from a local nursery versus going on the Internet and having it shipped in. But uh, just kind of look around, call around or whatever, and see who's going to have some tree peonies available. And uh, there, there's not that much difference between them as far as variety-wise. So whatever type they would have, I think, should be okay. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. I appreciate your information. Thank well, you. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate you doing that for me. Let's now head over to Phil's yard. Phil, how are you? Hi, uh, Mike. Yes. This is Phil, uh-huh. and thanks for your program. And I have a Jap- I think it's a Japanese cherry, but it's leaning over long branches and pink flowers. But the leaning over is getting worse and worse. And I'm wondering, can we brace the tree, or is there something we can do for it? Now, is this actually you're talking about the trunk is leaning or this? The yes. Br- so, so in other words, it's leaning, you know, that means how long has it been in, the, let's say. About 11, 25 years. Gee, you know, for it to be leaning, uh, that's kind of unusual because the trunk usually doesn't lean on, except on earlier or younger things that are in the ground in less than a couple of years. Yeah, no, this thing <laughs> this thing started out that way, and it's headed oh, okay. in that direction ever since. Okay, so then it, basically whoever installed it didn't install it correctly for the most part. Well, but, that uh, I don't know. I hate to criticize them after 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> right, because it's, I mean, it's probably a Kwanzaa cherry, but no, you cannot upright this thing whatsoever. You start fooling around with that, trying to crank it, you oh. know, and you know, and stake it or whatever, you're going to tear up all the feeder roots on it, and then you're going to send this thing to a quick, you know what? Uh, should we just brace it where it is now? Is I would that... say, you know, I don't even know if you need to brace it. Oh, good. Because the root system over these 25 years has got itself well established. So, if it was going to fall over or blow over or whatever, it would have probably already done that. So oh, it's probably great. pretty tough the way it is and where it is. Okay, thanks so much. I appreciate your advice. Thank sure. you. My pleasure. Bye. Yeah, Kwanzaa and Cherry is one of my favorites, and there's a lot of them in the Japanese garden. They have a great bark as well as, you know, the pink flowering uh, uh, pink pink flowers. Let's put it that way. Not, too, not really spectacular fall color, but who cares? And now let's head over to Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I have a question very similar to the, the previous caller except uh, it's a younger tree. We have a dwarf weeping pussy willow in our front yard, and it's, it's only been in the ground, say, three or four years, but it's really developed a, uh, a lean to it, and I don't know how it got out of control like this. We didn't catch it earlier. Because of the young age, can we straighten this thing out? Uh, again, I mean, it's been established enough where the root systems already, the feeder roots, that's what the most important are. Those are the ones that are up near the surface. So if you start pushing it back, you know, one direction to try to make it more upright, straight, vertical, or whatever it happens to be, you're going to damage some of the roots. And recovery, they may recover really okay without any kind of problems, but it may lead to us, you know, a decline. So unless you're just desperate, I would say just leave it alone. You know what's funny about the tree, Mike, is that once it leaves out, 
you can't see the trunk and you don't even know it's lean. And it's only this time of the year after everything's fallen <laughs> off that you notice the lean. So, you know, it's like out of sight, out of mind, right? Exactly. So just don't look at it in the wintertime. Hey, Mike, can I say that you, you worry me? <laughs> Why is that? Some of these early morning walks that you take in those neighborhoods, I hope you're packing when you're down there at Broadway and Merrimack. <laughs> no way. I don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, hey, we live in the city, too, Mike. I tell everybody we're thrill seekers. <laughs> well, thank you for your help, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, uh, you know, any of the trees, um, somebody sent me an email this past week. or Actually, I did a design for them quite a while ago. And one of the trees that uh, I advised putting in uh, was a redbud tree. And their tree is leaning, and he, the gentleman was worried. Also, the main the main trunk is like with a redbud tree is probably like maybe six inch caliper or so something like that, and about a foot or two off the ground, then the um, branch took off, and uh, not it wasn't taken off. That's where a branch grew out, and he was worried about the sort of the angle between the main trunk and the branch, and also the main trunk was leaning. And I just, you know, I told him, I said, you're probably better if you're really worried about these two, you know, the branch splitting, because that was his main concern. If there was a, some kind of storm or whatever, it was going to split the main branch, this wide, this big branch off the trunk and cause problems that way. But I said, you don't really have to worry about that. But if you're extremely worried, red buds are really tough. They're durable. This, the He sent me some pictures and I said, you really, this is not really much of a concern. But what you can do is if you do have, let's say, branches that are, let's say, leaning that you're worried about, you can have tree services come out and actually they can cable things together. So they drill holes into the trunk or the branches or whatever, and then they run a cable in between them and then put nuts and bolts on the end of it. And that way it prevents any kind of damage. You know, it, it stabilizes the whole the whole thing. So I've several over the years, there's been several people that have had, you know, trees that have been cabled, not necessarily a redbud tree, some of the larger trees that they were worried and concerned about. So that's just not something that, uh, you know, with a redbud tree, I told him, don't worry. He, he loved the tree. If he was asking, should he cut off that branch? But he was, you know, early in the message, he was saying, this tree is just so full of, you know, great color in the springtime. And he was going to eliminate about 25 or 30 percent of the, you know, potential flowering because he was going to, you know, asking if he should cut off this branch. I said, no, don't bother cutting it off. Other things you can do this time of year in the outdoors, you know, when the ground isn't frozen, consider doing some deep root, deep root feeding. Deep root feeding is where you get an electric drill or, you know, a battery power drill with an earth auger. And that earth auger is a drill bit that's about an inch in diameter. And consequently, you go, you go out from your trees, from the trunk to the drip line halfway out, and you just start drilling holes in the grounds. And you just concentrically do a series of circles all the way out. The, cir cir the circles are about uh, oh, one to two feet apart. And then you backfill those holes with compost. So what that does is feeding your soil and good soil is the best way to have good plant material. Fertilizing and all that other stuff, that's great. But good soil is really what controls the overall health of your plant material. So deep root feeding is something that uh, I started doing, which, you know, I, I really, even though I had, you know, went to school in horticulture, I never had heard of deep root feeding 
I went to school in California, so consequently, when I came back here and then worked at the Botanical Garden, we started doing some deep root feeding on the English woodland garden trees because the English woodland garden had just been replaced. And then consequently, the soil needed to be improved. It was kind of an area that you, when Henry Shaw was alive, that was his sort of his dump area. But uh, anyway, so deep root feeding is something to consider where you just drill holes in the ground about six inches deep and backfill them with compost. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. After these messages, I'll be back. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your questions, comments, or concerns, this is a time of year, too, you're probably starting to receive uh, catalogs with outdoor furniture, seeds, bulbs, plant material, and everything else. So take it, you know, just take some time. You don't necessarily have to order from them, although you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But just, I mean, there's... They're going to have new varieties of plant material. Sometimes people call in with a variety of some particular plant that I've never even heard of. So there's a lot of stuff out there, new, old, and everything else. But anyway, let's head over to Patrick's yard. Patrick, how are you? Morning, Mr. Miller. How are you, sir? Very good. Good. Hey, I got a question about my azaleas. Um, They've gotten, they've looked kind of wimpy, uh, and I... I know my my soil is not uh, acidic enough, so I added some azalea fertilizer, and they greened up really good. They looked really healthy. But my question is, when is the best time to fertilize for azaleas? Basically, as we're coming out of wintertime, you know, you're, you know they're going to be, depending upon the variety, generally they're ones that are, I'm assuming they're that broadleaf evergreen type, they're going to flower in the springtime, so... Go ahead and flower or fertilize them before the flowers actually open. Fertilize them while they're in flower, and then fertilize them once after that, about a month apart. Oh, okay. Huh, and then, I had no idea. Yeah, and basically, you you know, fertilizing is fine, but if you just need to change the pH and you don't want to do any fertilizing per se because it's off-season or whatever it happens to be, you can go to your favorite garden center and get get something called iron sulfate. And what it is is sulfur changes the pH. The iron is then available for the root system of the azalea, and then that's the thing that will help color up the uh, foliage on your azaleas. Iron sulfate, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, this this is a, I got it at Lowe's, and it's a, uh, it says azalea fertilizer. Right. So, uh, and it worked up, it worked wonderfully. It really did. I was like, oh, my gosh, they look so good. Yeah, um, I mean, it can make a okay. huge difference, just the overall health not only just the aesthetic color of the foliage. Okay, iron sulfate. Right. And you can use that anytime or same same type of uh, schedule. Well, no, you can use you can I wouldn't put it necessarily on in the heat of the summertime, but anytime in the fall and just overall in general. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, and they right, I'm so day. you know, any broadleaf evergreen, not just azaleas, but rhododendrons, holly, even the magnolia, the southern magnolia, they all the anything that has leaves that stay or needles that stay for the wintertime needs for the most part, I'd say ninety percent of the time, an acidic soil. And if the soil is not acidic, sometimes they can do okay. But if you want them just to be, let's say, aesthetically more appealing, then you're gonna be doing, let's say, 
making sure the soil is acidic. And the best way to do that, too, is to find out what your soil pH is. If the plantings are close to a foundation or close to a sidewalk or a concrete driveway, alkalinity leaches out of those you know, foundations, anything that has cement, and that can change the pH routinely. So that's why you have to kind of stay on top of it. Now let's head over to Jim's yard. Jim, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Uh, i got a question for you. A couple of years ago, I had had some work done on my foundation. They came in with bobcats and just destroyed my yard. And, um, you know, I've gone through and I've worked it up and I aerated a couple times and top dress the soil and I plant grass seed and it comes up a little bit, but it never gets very big. Uh, so basically what's happened is your soil's gotten so compacted, even though you've done what in theory should reduce the soil compaction, it just made basically all this heavy-duty equipment has really just pressed the soil down enough that the, you know, whatever seed you're putting down just can't, you know, you're going to have to really do a major overhaul of the whole, the entire thing. So get in there like a rototiller? Exactly. And then not just do that, too, but also add some organic material like compost when you're doing it. Not a whole lot, but you want to add some just to, you know, help it out. But you got to get the, this stuff is just probably if you go out there with a shovel and try to dig down in there, it's probably pretty impossible to push a shovel or a digging spade or anything else into the ground because it's just too compacted. Okay. And then the second question I have, what, what is the best thing for killing the honeysuckle? <laughs> Are we talking shrubs? Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, there are several different things that would work, but uh, what I like to do is just cut them off, you know, cut them off at about two feet above the ground at a 45-degree angle, and then you use Roundup for killing woody plant materials, not regular Roundup. as a specific one, and paint it right on that cut that you've just made. And it, that should, that'll systemically go down all the way through, you know, the trunk and into the root system. It may take a couple years depending upon the size of the trunk because some of these shrub honeysuckles, they have six or eight or 10 inch, you know, diameters to the trunk as it's coming up out of the ground. Yeah, these are maybe half an inch. Now they're, they're in some, I've got um, one in a small tree in Aletha and then another in a um, lilac bush. So I guess I have to be very careful with it. Right. So just, you know, don't get it on. Basically, if you just paint it on the open wound, then it should not, you know, shouldn't impact anything else because it's okay. not going to go down through the root system and then leach out into the soil and impact any other plant material that has roots there. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Okay. The honeysuckle, you know, I mean, the berries are, the birds love them. So they have a berry, and then they fly over to your shrub, and then they go to the bathroom, and then now you have honeysuckle. So anyway, Monica, how are you today? Yes. Go ahead. Yes, I have a question about a house plant. I have a Diefenbachia that is basically almost two feet tall from the base where it hits the dirt up. Wow. And I'm concerned about it getting so tall do I have to put a, a stick next to it and prop it up? If I cut it, won't it branch out and get even bigger? Uh, no, not necessarily. They're generally just single trunks for the most part. Well, they are, it is, but if I, it, do I have to repot the thing and put it in a bigger pot? Uh, it, not necessarily. What you can do is, I mean, they're pretty tough and durable. You can cut it off 
then I don't know if you have foliage all the way up the entire trunk or stem. No, it's about uh, two-thirds of the way up is where the foliage starts. Right. So you can cut, you know, you can cut basically and just, you know, and then with the, the top part, leave about six or eight inches or so, get some rooting hormone and paint it on that and get some potting mix, you know, for house plants. And then just let then you know reroute that thing, the thing that you have cut off, uh-huh. and then the the stub or trunk or whatever that is left that it has no foliage. Slowly but surely, it may take a year or so, but it'll start leafing out. Okay, so like cut it where those joints are. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. Very good. And it's it doesn't matter that there's like three different stocks in there, so I can do that three different times, basically. Exactly. You sure okay. can. Very good. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, Diffenbachia is, I mean, they're tough and durable. And, you, know, you probably know the story that uh, don't get the sap on your tongue because it, it doesn't know. Anyway, enough of that. But uh, now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jim, are you there? Yeah. Okay. I have uh, hydrangeas. Um, they were here when I moved in about 11 years ago. And it hasn't bloomed in probably four years. Foliage is nice and green, but no blooms. It could be variety-wise. It could be the environment. But if you haven't had any blooms in the, that period of time, I would say it's time to kind of just give up on it. There's, I mean, okay. fertilizing and anything else is not going to change it. A lot of plant material has, you know, sort of a limit, especially if it's a specific type of hybrid, has a limited amount of years that it's going to actually be aesthetically productive. And then after that, it'll survive. It just doesn't have whatever the energy. But if the foliage is looking good, everything else looks fine, and it's not flowering, that just means it's kind of sort of at the end of its life as far as flowering goes. Yeah, I don't know how long I was here before we moved in, but uh, uh, I've been here 11 years, and the first few years, it bloomed good, and then it just started fading out. So, I mean, you could take it out and replace it with another variety if you want another hydrangea. And, uh, I mean, they have the Forevers, which rebloom through most of the summertime. They have, you can get the PG, which is the one that has a, sort of the snowball in the springtime. And then there are oak leaf hydrangeas. There's all kinds of different type of hydrangeas besides the blues and pinks. All righty. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah, so sometimes we just have to give up on certain plant materials. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Perfect time of year to go out and just kind of look around or stay inside and look out your windows and see what kind of birds are coming around. There's everything from juncos to cardinals to finches, both gold and purple, doves, chickadees, blue jays. Blue jays really are ruling the neighborhood around us right now. I mean, they're out squealing and squawking and whatever all over the place. And there's grackles, wrens, sparrows, and titmice, some mockingbirds as well, sapsuckers. Not too many woodpeckers for some reason in our neighborhood, but a lot of sapsuckers. But anyway, nothing's more fun than watching the birds. Also, if you had a live tree, a cut live tree, and you don't know exactly what to do with it, you're not going to recycle it yet because you can take it to various parks and drop them off and then I'll mulch them and turn them into, uh, 
you know, mulch, run them through a shredder, basically. But to lay it out in your backyard in some place where the birds aren't used to landing or anything, it's kind of fun because you can put kind of move it around and just lay it on its side in your backyard or your front yard or your side yard or wherever you choose. And the birds will have a tendency to come to it, especially if you sprinkle some, you know, some seed around the base of it or along the side of it or whatever it happens to be. So anyway, birds, wintertime, it's much easier to see them than in the summertime because all the trees are, the majority of the trees are deciduous. So let's head over to Mike Shard. Mike, how are you today? Hey, Mike, fine, thank you. I had a uh, thought about the man who wasn't getting any flowering on his hydrangeas. I wonder, is it possible that he's got a hydrangea that blooms on old growth and he might be uh, cutting it all back? That could be. Um, Certainly, the, the you know, that's the case. That's why I mentioned the PG hydrangea because that's, you know, that's the one that blooms in the springtime. So if you prune that thing, uh, you know, in the fall, you're just cutting off the flower, potential flower buds for the next year. So maybe before he pulls it out, you should just let it grow another year and, and not prune next, yeah. next fall then. I always, you know, I'm always anti-pruning hydrangeas because there's, you know, it's so difficult, especially if you've inherited one, you don't have any idea what variety it is. So that's good advice. I certainly appreciate you calling. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye. And let's stay uh, with the name Mike and go to another Mike chart. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Thank you. Uh, did I hear you correctly at the beginning of the show, not to trim maple trees this time of year? Yeah, basically, you'll just have more sap flow. May- maples, birches, and beech trees have a huge amount of sap flow in the wintertime. So it's just not advisable to do it. You can do it. It's just that they're, they're better off if you prune them in the summertime. You're not going to get nearly as much sap flow on any of those trees. Okay. Okay. Well, I've always thought we'd trim them in the wintertime, but... Uh, that's why I listen to your show every weekend. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily hurt, but it's just sometimes it can be just uh, you know aesthetically like you. How can this much stuff? And with like the maples, we know that it's, you know they tap the maple trees, the sugar maples for the you know for the syrup making basically in the wintertime because there's more sap flow in the wintertime. So that's why. <laughs> Just to avoid it is just, it's more of an aesthetic thing. It's not going to necessarily kill your tree. It's just it's to see all that stuff coming out, and you know, especially if you cut off some major branches, it's, it's just ugly. Let's put it that way. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, there's a couple things. And the, the gentleman that, the other Mike, the previous Mike, yeah, just remember that if you do prune things, anything that blooms in the springtime, uh, you prune it in the fall thinking, well, I want to get it in shape. It'll be fuller and everything else. You're eliminating flower buds. So it doesn't matter if it's a PG hydrangea, if it's a lilac, if it's a forsythia, if it's a witch hazel. All those things bloom. Well, the witch hazel you know, will be blooming basically next month. So uh, it blooms really quite early in the season. Other things that you might be thinking about is, uh, you know, I, I hammer on this because it's so important. But uh, just stop fooling around and get the facts. Have your soil tested. That way you can make smart decisions related to your soil. And especially if you've routinely done the same thing or your lawn service has done the same thing year after year after year after year. And like putting lime down, where that tradition came from, I'm not exactly sure. But to think that your lawn needs to be alkaline needs to have a higher pH is completely wrong. 
Lawn does best when the pH is someplace between 6.6 and 6.8. And 7 is neutral. Anything above 7 is alkaline. Anything below 7 is, guess what, acidic. So lawn, good, successful lawn, whether it's you know, zoysia or bluegrass fescue, it doesn't really matter. It needs a slightly acidic soil. And you're just... To put lime down, you're just you're going contrary to what the plant needs. And that's why a soil test will tell you exactly what your pH is. It will tell you exactly what kind of nutrients there are in your soil. So you can change the type of fertilizer that you're using. Because a lot of times, you know, we've let's say if you put triple 12 down and or any kind of fertilizer where the last two numbers are relatively high or consistently with putting the same... Those two nutrients of you know, phosphorus and potassium stay in the soil for a long time and for a couple years. So the nitrogen goes away rel- relatively quickly, I mean within a few days. So the plants have to grab the nitrogen or nitrogen really quick, nitrogen, nitrogen really quick, but the phosphorus and potassium stay there for a long time. And what the soil tests are indicating that people that have soil tests where they fertilize with the same kind of fertilizer or not exactly the same, but with a certain you know percentage of phosphorus and potassium, it gets to an extravagant level, and that starts dehydrating the soil, causing the root system of plant material and your lawn to go downhill. So that's what you you know you have to be certainly concerned about. So anyway, other things we have looks like Judy's going to have to hold on till we get through the uh, through the news and weather and all that other stuff, but. Uh, I'm going to repeat this, too. If you have elephant ears, cannas, you know, caladiums, dahlias, and all that other stuff, go down and check them. You know, just check them out. Because uh, a couple years ago, I had some that I, you know, I left in the garage in potting mix, and I went out there and just, you know, I did my check, and I found that probably 20% of them or so had gotten into a rotting circumstance. So even as careful as you try to be. So uh, certain ones I really like. And so I clean all the potty mix or dirt or off them and put them in cardboard boxes and bring them in and put them in the basement. So they, there's no problem doing it that way. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We will be back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. And guess what hour this is? It's the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour. But, Mr. Kelly, before you get out of here, yo, uh, how about a peacock update? Peacock <laughs> update. Uh, he was. I fed the birds yesterday, and so he made sure to come over and show up and uh, hung out a little while and then went home. Now, but what's his name, fine. Bob? Henry. Oh, Henry. Henry, yes. <laughs> but he's, he's doing fine. He's doing okay. Good. Yeah. He's a tough bird. He is. Now <laughs> we've got an opossum Ooh. out in the backyard when I come home in the evening. Wow. Yeah, a little ugly guy, little Stanley. <laughs> you gave him a name? Well, they all look like they're all just ugly, ugly, ugly animals, so they remind <laughs> me of Stan Kroenke. <laughs> yeah, especially when they get run oh, over in the road. <laughs> then, then they really look like Stan Kroenke. So, yeah, I'm, I call him Stanley. Oh. Yeah. I would name him Pogo. 
Why? After the old, uh, let's say, comic in the newspaper yeah. by Walt okay. Kelly, yeah, you know, which was Pogo, where okay. he was a you know possum. He had all kinds of friends and stuff. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I would name like a goat Pogo if they're those goats that jump up in the air when they're scared. You know, that'd be a good one. Uh, yeah, great. Well, next time I find an animal, I'll call you and, and you can name them. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thanks. Okay, you bet. <laughs> and yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, or concerns, or comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, ups and downs, and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, Shrubs, trees, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. And then across the big board is Alex. Again, he's producing. And uh, during the week, I spend my time consulting where I can come to your home and do a walk and talk where we can look at aesthetic situations. We can look at uh, you know what's going on problem-wise and everything else. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com where my email address on the homepage and phone number is, and then you can contact me to do a uh, walk and talk. Also, the uh, Good Gardening Stroll page is where I do monthly updates of the website, too. So the January is already in there. And what I do is when I come to your home, I share 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors. With plant material, plant designing, I don't do any official designs anymore. I strictly consult. But uh, I can advise you on what's happening here or, you know, particular plant that would probably work very well here or care for the plant material and things like that. The tip of the trowel is a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes out to actually the city of St. Louis. city of St. Louis does major recycling. And when you pay your personal property tax, and that's a, you know tax of various types, but it's you pay it every year with uh, your vehicle, so you can get it, uh, you know, basically a new license when you need it. But uh, what they did is inserted with the uh, the receipt for your uh, personal property tax. It says basically small steps, big impact. The St. Louis needs your help. When incorrect items are tossed into the recycling bin, it ruins the good materials and disrupts the sorting process. And you can make a big difference. Recycling responsibly to help keep your recycling program strong. So that's what they're basically doing. And if you'd like to have a recycling trash can in your home, what you can do is you can go, or not a trash can, that's a recycling in-home bin. Get one at Brightside Office, which is on Shenandoah, basically Cannon, uh, Kings Highway and Shenandoah make, meet at that intersection, and it only costs $1 while the supply lasts. So Brightside St. Louis, the office on Shenandoah, you can get a recycling in-home bin for only $1. So stay up to date on recycling and connect with social media as well. So tip of the trial goes out to them. Another thing, now this is not a tip of the trial. This is a little bit of a concern that I have. Uh, I don't know if you go if, if you ever go east or west on Highway 44 and you're going through Webster Groves, Shrewsbury, right before you get into the city and some, a little bit after you get into the city. 
the exit signs, which are the signs that will say, you know, Laclede Station Road, one mile away or whatever, they are all, all the letters are peeling off these signs. So if somebody was from out of town and looking for a specific road to exit off the highway, they couldn't figure out what these signs are saying. So I don't know what MoDOT is actually doing or why they're not changing these signs, but I've never seen highway signs. These are the ones that are up on the bridge and everything else where the letters are just peeling off. It is totally crazy that, you know, and it's been going on for quite a while. I thought, you know, when it first started, I thought, well, they'll get it probably taken care of. But they haven't done anything. So, like I said, there could be a sign with three different roads, one a quarter mile away, one a half mile away, one a mile away or whatever. And you can't read any of them. It's just uh, like, what's going on there? I don't quite understand. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's take a call and let's go to Judy. Judy, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Um, Merry, I was going to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, I had a question about replacing holly shrubs, but the principal reason for my calling is to talk about birds and a specific bird. I was listening to your last segment, and I have all the same cast of characters that come to my bird feeder. But a couple of years ago, I was looking at them, and I saw a bird that I had never seen before. And he looked like a sparrow, but he had a very large ear patch. So I have a wonderful bird book. It's uh, National Geographic, North American Birds. And I looked through all the sparrow-type birds, and I finally found him, and he is called an Eurasian sparrow, Eurasian sparrow. And he is indigenous only to the St. Louis area. And they're just so cute, very perky, but that distinctive ear patch, they're very easy to spot. So I thought you might be interested in that and might look for him in your bird feeder. Absolutely. You know, it's, well, that's great. You know, I always like to see some, you know, something unusual. The most unusual, or the, regularly the thing that we see most often are the gold and, you know, purple finches as far as unusual. And then, you know, the regular juncos and everything else. But uh, that's really, so Eurasian sparrow. Right. Wow. So if you have a bird book, you can look him up. But I think I've given you enough information. And as I said, I'm repeating myself, I realize, but that large ear patch, that was a very distinctive marking. And I, they, they hadn't been back last year, but I had seen them this year, and there were two of them. So I'm assuming that it's a mated pair. Probably so. I hope so, because we need to see more of them. They're really cute. As I said, something unusual is always nice. Absolutely. So, it's always... I've got some some holly shrubs that are just were put. I live in a villa, and they were put in not by me, by somebody else. And I had them fertilized this this year, and I think that they are just completely done. So I'm thinking about putting in boxwood. How does that sound? Uh, boxwood are tougher. There's no getting around it. But I mean, they still need the the acidic soil and everything else. So mm-hmm. why your holly, you know, went through a decline? You know, it's it's tough to before I you know would invest any plant material or any money in a new plant material, I'd get a soil test done. Oh, okay, that's probably a good idea. But they they are dying from the bottom, and when I looked down on them from the inside window, there are parts that are dying throughout. So that's what makes me think that they're done. And in spite of the fertilization, some of the leaves are yellow. Groundskeepers, I live in a villa community, mm-hmm. so the groundskeepers keep everything trimmed beautifully. Right. So when this poor, these poor shrubs bloom, the blooms get whacked off right away, so I've never had any berries. <laughs> oh, um, Jiminy. And the, bird, the bees will like to you know, get into those blossoms, sure. but they aren't there 
long enough to open to benefit the bees. So I just think there's something else that could be done. But you're right. I think I will get a soil test. Right, because you can take the sample. There's a University of Missouri office in Kirkwood, so you can drop it off there. And okay. also, if they're you know if they're sort of defoliating from the bottom up, that usually indicates that uh, they're not the soil is not well drained enough. Well, that's that could be. I know that uh, there's an in-ground sprinkler system, and shortly after I moved in, I had that sprinkler system turned off because it was just flooding this area right. with water, and um, had some downspout work done to redirect the water into the the lawn area. But uh, I would imagine over time that all of that water had a very uh, was not beneficial to the. Um, Holly. Right. The only oh. kind of holly that's a broadleaf evergreen and it doesn't have the classic red holly berries is the inkberry holly, which oh. uh, has more of a, more of like a boxwood type leaf and its berries are black, but it really? can grow in wet soils. Oh, and you said inkwood like is ink like I N K inkberry. Okay, that's interesting. I I will look that up. Yeah. So it's, so it's it's botanical names Ilex I L E X then Glabra, G-L-A-B-R-A, and you probably want the more dwarf one, and that's right. a, vari- a variety called Nordic, N-O-D- N-O-R-D-I-C. Okay, great. Good information. We used to live in uh, suburban Pennsylvania area, and, of course, holly and all those kinds of things, rhododendron, do very well. Right. And we had a couple of American holly planted in the yard, and they are just so beautiful, so beautiful. Thank you so much for the information and listening to my rambling about the birds. Thank you so much. Great. Well, thanks for the insight. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just remember, if you're into houseplants, whether they're brand new or longtime members of your household, uh, don't do any overwatering. This time of year, they're better left dry as opposed to overwatering. Overwatering can really send them downhill really quickly, and recovery is minimal. Uh, right now, I've got a couple different house plants, but uh, the rosemary tree that uh, I was talking about last week, what I do is I just wait, and when the when the I water it once, I just feel how heavy the pot feels, and then what I do is I don't water it again until I just lift the pot every couple days, and when the pot feels really light, then I know it needs some water. Also, I can just use my finger, but this rosemary tree makes it kind of hard. You know, to stick my not stick my finger into the potting mix, but it it works. It's just uh, and the nice part is, if, you know, if you stick your pot your finger into the potting mix, you also rub across the foliage of the rosemary, and then it releases some a great smell. So let's head over to Greg's yard. Greg, how are you today? Great, thanks, Mike. Really quick question: When do I trim my ewes? They need a haircut. Uh, I would not do it right now because we don't know how severe the winter is going to get. So if you cut off the the branches, even though they're the newest part of the plant, they still have been exposed to all the weather up till now. So if you cut that off, some of the needles that are you know now exposed, even though they're older ones and were exposed at one time, are going to be newly exposed, and you could get some winter burn on them. So I'd wait cool. until uh, Valentine's Day or so. Okay, really? So I can Valentine's Day I cut them? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Bye. Sure. 
Yeah, because the, the weather's not going to be severe generally after that. The, be, the, the other way to go about it is to, you know, kind of do it uh, as we're coming out of summer, early fall, so everything can get uh, toughened off before sort of we don't know what the, you know, screwball weather is going to be. And this year, I mean, when we look backwards into November, that's when we had weather in the teens with wind chills almost down to zero. And now since then, we've had hardly any that's been anything close to that. So now let's go over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, My question is, I'm interested in purchasing a composter, and I wanted to know what features I should be looking for, because when I went online, they're all black, which I don't know if that's whatever important, but doors that slide left and right, how big the opening to put things in or take stuff out. And I was also told that if I get a small one, most people usually outgrow them and they'll need a bigger one eventually. So I'm, I'm new at this, but I want to do it. So I'm calling you. Pick your brain. <laughs> well, you know, they're just, they're basically dark color because they want to sort of the heat to generate in there to make the compost happen quicker. So, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And uh, it's just personal. I wouldn't get an extravagant one. I'd go ahead and I don't say start with the smallest one available, but get a relatively small one because you can always get another one, you know, if you happen to need it. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't, you know, get an extravagantly large one. And then okay. all of a sudden you're kind of stuck with this thing. Yeah, so, and the other the other concern I had was we always have to check because I live in South County, but close to the JB Bridge. But um, we always have to check when we let the dogs out in the back because we have sometimes we have little visiting skunks, and um, so we have the critter issue. So I'm thinking the tumbler kind, so it's not something that I have to turn over with a fork that's going to invite the critters. So I'm uh, thinking I don't know. What well, do you think? Yeah, I mean, so that makes good sense because I was going to say it's it's fairly easy. You can put a fence around it, you know, with a gate or whatever to keep the you know wildlife away. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally, I don't know that uh, any kind of wildlife, whether it be skunks or raccoons or possums or anything, are going to be attracted to a compost pile. Okay, that's why I called you. You know these things. I don't. <laughs> I guess if you threw a bunch of apples or something in there, they might you know go after that. But for the most part. Compost is not something that they're going to hang around. Is there a place locally, or is this something I have to order online? Uh, well, t- there's a company called Hummert International. It's a it's a, actually a worldwide horticultural company, supply company, and they're located in their city here in St. Louis. So you might look at their website and kind of go from there. And how do you say their name or spell it? H U M M E R T. Hummert okay, International. I Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. Right. And there are probably other places that have them, but I just know, you know, I've known the people from Hummers for a long time. So now let's go over to Jerry's yard. Jerry, what's happening? Hey, Jerry. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I uh, have a rose bush that the stalk, the main stalk is about 12 inches long, but I have no branches. They They died off on it. Uh, do you think that'll make it? I didn't want to cut it uh, too low this winter, but maybe the spring cut it down and see if it sprouts out again. Now, is this like, this is not a shrub type rose. This is a like a traditional type rose? Yes. Yeah, I would say if you're down to, you know, 12 inches uh, and no, nothing coming off of it, not because you've already pruned it off, just because it had no growth last year? Yeah, it was... 
it was planted and there was other plants all around it that became taller and ah. it, it was fighting for light. Right. So I but, would say it's probably doomed. I'm okay. not saying you need to get rid of it, but uh, it doesn't sound you know good or positive or whatever. And, okay, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, certainly leave it. And are you fertilizing it? Not right now. Yeah, not not now, but definitely like 1st of May or late April or so, get some rose food and uh, go ahead and use some rose food and see if you can get it uh, you know, pepped up by doing that. All right. Well, thank you. Enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got a lot of or several phone lines open. Right now, let's go over to Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hi, Mike. I have a question about roses also. I have climbing roses that are 20, 25 feet tall. They're budding. Is there anything I can do? No. I mean... That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with the weather we've had it, you know, the last couple of weeks, and I noticed yesterday, and I thought, oh my God, uh, <laughs> what is this? This is going to mess things up in the spring, isn't it? It certainly could, because if the, I don't know how big the buds are or anything else, but we we're definitely going to have some colder weather, I would assume. Right. And so, and consequently, those buds are just going to get whoop. But I'm surprised that they're, you know, actually, it hasn't been that warm for them to be pushing buds out. They're about a half inch out all over. Really? And I was shocked when I noticed it yesterday. And being that tall, I can't wrap them. Right. Uh, okay, I'll just take my chances. Yeah, I don't think wrapping would actually help. What you can do is go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and take a look at that. And <coughs> excuse me. And put the question in related to that. Also, there's a fantastic uh, rose society here in St. Louis, and I'm uh-huh. sure they have. You can check with them. But I, you know, I've not seen any roses pushing out buds certainly at all that was really noticeable. Uh-huh. I know yours are climbers and everything else, but uh, are they up close to the house? Is that why yes. it's? Yes, uh, they are. So that's probably the warmth of the house is helping too. And uh, yeah, and I've never had it do this. Not not. Not now. <laughs> right. It's only January, what, 3rd or 4th or whatever it is. <laughs> I know. Okay, well, thank you. Well, I do have another question sure. about an amaryllis. I bought four, gave three of them away as a gift. Everybody else is just doing fine and blooming, and mine's only up maybe an inch and a half. Did I just get a bad one? No. If it's pushed, uh, you know, you're talking about the flower buds an inch and a half. Well, the little leaves are just now coming up. So it hasn't flowered at all? No. Ooh, usually it has to flower before it starts pushing the foliage out. Right, and I've got nothing, and everybody else has got blooms on there. Oh, so, yeah, you got the bad one. <laughs> I got the bad one. Well, so, at least I got it. They didn't. Yeah, so okay. just let the foliage go and, you know, grow all summer long, and then in September cut it off, and then hopefully next year you'll have flower. Okay. Or you okay. can ahead, you know, you, and do that with that one and just go to the your favorite garden center. They still have a lot of amaryllis available, so you can get one that's, you know, give you some flowers during the wintertime. Let's hope so. Okay, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. Okay. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And I'm going to go back to that deep root feeding. I don't think hardly anybody does that, or they have maybe landscape services do it, but I still think it's really important for the overall health of your trees. So what it is, again, is augering holes and backfilling them with compost. Just like when you core-aerate your lawns, you're going, to back, you're going to come back with about a quarter inch or so of compost afterwards that will fall down in those holes. Healthy soil is the best way to have good plant material. There's no getting around it. There's nothing else that you can possibly do. Other things that you need to be thinking about or concerned with just kind of in general is, you know, going back to lawns a little bit, uh, this is that transitional zone where the north meets the south or where warm season grasses meet cool season grasses. So we have the fescues can grow here, and then we can grow also the bluegrasses and also the zoysias. And it just makes it very, very difficult just in general, depending upon our climate, on which grass is going to do well that particular year in that particular season. So it's, it's absolutely just a roll of the dice on, you know, because this is a, probably the toughest place in the entire country to actually have successful lawn without, you know, going to extreme measures. Every place you have to do ex- a lot, of, you know, to have a successful lawn. But other times and other places, uh, not quite as exaggerated as what we have. So let's go now into Linda's yard. Linda, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. I had just a little hint for bringing a little green into uh, the kitchens this time of the year. Uh-huh. When I when I was a little girl, my mother would cut off the tops of carrots, full size carrots, about an inch long from the top, and she'd sit them in a little saucer of water. Really? And we would, yeah, and then we would watch the top of the carrot grow into this fern little little plant. Wow. And it was just fun. It was something I've done then for my kids and my grandkids. So I just thought maybe some of the other mothers might just want to think about that. That's you know, that's great insight. I've never heard of doing carrots. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> Absolutely. So great. Well thanks for sharing the insight. You're sure welcome. Thank you for your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go back or go to another Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, I have two uh, cypress seedlings. They're both about two foot tall, and uh, I want to move one of them. Can I still do that or not? I would not do it now, no, because, again, you're going to tear up, the regardless of how big you dig or anything else, you're going to tear up the root system or, you know, and then transfer, you know, moving it to a new location. Then we get a severe cold. It could, you know, the root systems are, you know, like I said, they're upset. You could, I mean, the root systems could get frozen and then basically it's gone. So I'd wait until we get out of the worst part of the wintertime. So I always say after sometimes after Valentine's Day, before early March or before any kind of new growth begins would be the time I'd recommend doing it. Okay. Can I ask you one other quickie? Is it sure. too late for tulips? Uh, to plant them? Yeah. Yeah, basically what you'll what will happen is you can plant them. Obviously, you got to go out there and dig, you know, well-drained area, blah, 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 sunny locations, by far the best. 
and f- you know, only about four inches deep is the maximum. To you know, three and three to four inches. But this year, you're probably only going to get leaves and now probably no flowers because they don't have a, a time enough to get well established enough for that actual bulb to be able to have the energy to push a flower up. Okay, thank you. Appreciate all you do. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And speaking of bulbs, I grape hyacinths just happens to be one of my you know, favorite. It's a minor bulb. It's a small one. It's not the classic hyacinth. But this time of year, all through the wintertime, the foliage on the grape hyacinths, I have them in pots, is green. So that's really kind of a neat thing. Now, what will happen is the foliage will stay green on these grape hyacinths, and then when the flower bud starts coming up, the foliage will turn brown. So when it's in flower, there is basically no green foliage at all. Then they'll flower. Then when they finish flowering, then it'll start producing new foliage again. And then consequently, that foliage will stay all summer long, all through the fall, and then all through the winter. It looks, I mean, it's really kind of neat. You wouldn't think that there would be something that would be tough enough. But uh, it's tough enough, meaning like it has sort of the tough qualities of like those onions that grow in your yard and things like that, or the wild garlics or something along that line. So let's go over now to Nick's yard. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to pass along a little uh, a hint that I have. Um, we've got about 200 houseplants we bring in in the fall. Woo! Most of them, yeah, they're cactus and succulents and that sort of thing. That two years ago, I put another window in the living room just to accommodate them. <laughs> but uh, the, the problem we have with insects, I do use the insecticidal soap while they're still outside. Right. I start about a month before I bring them in. But uh, this year, and, and no matter what, I, I still get some bugs. Mostly right. the stink bugs come out of the soil. This year, I bought two hot shot pest strips on eBay. They're like the old-fashioned shell, no pest strip. Mm-hmm. But they're called hot shots. I, there's one hanging in the living room and one hanging in the kitchen. And I've really seen a big difference just with these in the house. Really? Yes. So in yeah, other words, about $9 a piece, but you can order them and, and they get them in for you in a couple of days. So, well, that's good. I mean, that's great because basically what they're doing, they're attracting anything that's flighted. Is that what you're attracting them to? They don't They don't stick. They're not sticky. Oh, really? They, they, no, they're in a hanger. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Remember the old shell no pest strips from yes. long ago? Right. They're exactly like that, only these are by a company called Hot Shot. Huh. Well, that's... So they, they really do. They work very well. Well, that sounds great. Uh, you know, I don't... You know, I'll have to take a look at that and just kind of in general. I don't have to, you know... Basically, I get... You know, I do the same thing. I don't have the... Certainly not the number of plants that you do. At one time, I did. I only have a few now. But... uh you know, sometimes it can be just aggravating with the insects. And a lot of times, well, I mean, sometimes you even have to look on the underside of the pots when you bring them inside because that drainage hole can have something like slugs, you know, just kind of wrapped up in that hole. And you don't even right, look at the I, bottom I, of the pots and you go, you bring it in, and you, all of a sudden you got slug trails all over the place. Yeah, that uh, I, I've heard you mention that before, and that's part of the routine when we bring them in. Right. But uh, 
And I wanted to ask you, too, you, you were on birds earlier. We've got these uh, Carolina wrens, mm-hmm. and they started building nests here about a month ago. I've got two under my carport. Oh, you're kidding. They're paired off. No, they paired off, and they I've never seen them build nests this late or this early. I yeah, guess. right. Yeah, that's kind of – hopefully they're not going to be laying eggs this early because, I mean – but uh, maybe they're just doing it for, you know, protection or, or whatever it happens to be. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on them. I normally get them in the spring. And, right. You know, but, uh, no, ne- never through the winter if they build under the carport like they are now. Well, that's kind of surprising. It's very surprising. But, anyway, that's all I've got. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. So, thanks for your show. Yeah. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, Mike Miller, K and Weiss Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back to house plants a little bit. Fungus gnats. They're gnats that live in your potting mixes, and they have a really short life. They can be really aggravating because they, you know, all of a sudden you wonder how these gnats get in here, and they can be coming out of you know brought in with your potting mix, and then they can survive. They only live for a few days. So if you're going to go after them with like something like insecticidal soap or something along those lines, you're going to have to do it every couple days for several days before you finally get them all because generally most of the insecticides are not over, they're not egg killers. So there could be fungus gnat eggs in your potting mix. You think you've killed all the adults and you have, but there's still eggs there that in a couple days will hatch again. So just be conscious of that fact. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Jim, how are you? Yeah, Mike. First of all, thank you for your military service. I've been there myself. Ah. My question is about, i got a fescue on, and all these different brand names you buy at all different stores, what would you recommend as far as a good, good fescue seed? I would say always get something different, a blend. I, you know, to be just consistent with one type, all of them, yes, they're fescues, you know, they're blah, 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 mixed hybrids and this. But each one has a little bit of weakness or this. That's why I always, like, recommend people getting blends as opposed to just one type. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you once again for your service, man. Yes. Yeah, four years in the Air Force. Well, actually, only three years and nine months because I got a three-year early out so I could go to school. So. I had six years in the Navy. I was attached to the North Atlantic Submarine Pack. Wow. Yeah, I was in Second Air Force with a B-52s. Oh, okay. High <laughs> flyer there, brother. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, thank you again, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Fred Yard. Fred, how are you today? Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm trying to convert my lawn to zoysia. Uh, and the zoysia started in my neighbor's yard, and it's taken lots of years to convert my lawn halfway and so I've done some plugging from the zoysia side into the bare spots on the other side, and that's had pretty slow success. What can I do to accelerate the zoysia spreading? Uh, basically get uh, fertilizer for zoysia lawn. And second of all, and they's putting, 
you know, zoysia plugs in the bare spots. Those spots are bare because there's problems in that location. So that would be one of the things I'd be, you know, concerned about. So before you do any more plugging, get some compost, mix it in in the area where you're going to actually do the plugs or where you're going to plant the plugs and get the soil improved before you bother doing any kind of plugging. Okay. Okay. Uh, so when you say zoysia fertilizer, I've looked, I've Googled, I can't, I don't see anything, any fertilizer that's for zoysia. Well, basically what you want to do is first, let's go backtrack a little bit. Get a soil test done, find out what there is in your ground, and then get the fertilizer that's going to basically, you know, work, you know, for that particular thing. So have you tried like Hummer International? No. Okay, maybe try that. That's that local company in Earth City and see if they have a product that they would recommend for the zoysas. Okay. And then, and again, the soil test will find you can find out what's in your ground and kind of go from that, but definitely improve the soil before you do any kind of plugging. Uh, okay. All right. Thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Frank's yard. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hey, uh, I don't know uh, about this, but I found this company. I think it's called Novelty Manufacturing Company. You ever heard of it? Uh, no. Um, either they make or they're a company that's with this company because they advertise on the same line for different products and say if you're wanting novelty manufacturing company press this but it's uh called earthbox have you ever heard of earthbox grow box containers uh not that i can think of okay well uh i don't have the number for your uh, people out there but uh it might be something like one eight hundred grow box or something, but it's earthbox.com. Look it up and see if you can find the largest containers that they make, which are like three foot long, a uh, foot and a half deep by uh, two, two, maybe two and a half feet across or something. And you can get them with caster wheels on the bottom of them. And they hold soil, light, fluffy soil, and then they have a tray at the bottom of where the soil sits on top of or something. And it's supposed to have a water table below it in a cavity that holds the water for the automatic watering gravity-fed system. Now, I had problems because I'm blind uh, growing my garden tomatoes and veggies with those plants because with the gravity-fed system, if you have, like, a number of boxes right. and you jump one line to the next line to the next box, well, each box Frank, will get a watering thanks, you know, thanks for the insight. We're, the show's almost we're running out of time, but uh, so we'll take a look at the Earthbox and, uh, you know, see what we think about that. Nancy, you're going to be our last caller of the day. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi. I just wondered about a gardenia plant. I would love to have one. My friend has one and her, her blossoms are just beautiful. Do they have to be planted in in front of a special direction 
Like north, south, east, or west? No, they need to have as much light as they possibly can get, though. So whatever window that you have has the brightest sunlight coming in is the ideal you know, circumstance for them. And gardenias, if you're going to buy one this time of year, and this is for anybody that buys any kind of house plant this time of year, make sure that uh, wherever you buy it, you protects it by putting you know extra bags or around it or something because it's cold outside. So they're coming in from a greenhouse. You're taking them, let's say they're coming from a greenhouse. You're taking them outside. The weather's extremely cold. So even in a short period of time, they could be damaged as far as aesthetically, not necessarily killed. So just protection of any kind of plant that's being bought that's a tropical plant like a gardenia. Uh, and then the same thing when you take it from your car into your house, you know, don't uh, make sure that you it's still protected, so it doesn't get any kind of cold damage to it. And gardenias, maybe it'd be better to buy it in the spring. Yeah, probably so. And also, gardenias are a little bit tough to grow. The majority of people don't have very good luck with them, but the people that seem to have good luck with them, a friend of mine that uh, worked with me at the botanical garden, his parents had one that over the years had gotten about three feet high and three feet wide. It was huge, massive and an extreme amount of flowers. But a lot of people buy them. They're really kind of very attractive. They bring them home. They're all really well budded. All the buds fall off, and then the foliage starts falling off. So just do a little bit of research, too, on gardenia care. And you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just put gardenias and see what they would recommend for you to do, as opposed to just kind of taking care of it as you would a normal, let's say, houseplant. Well, another thing they told me was you can put them outside in the summer. Is that correct? Yes, but just don't put them in direct sunlight outside because they'll sunburn. The leaves are, you know, they're very shiny. They're very attractive, but they can get sunburned really easily. So make sure that when you put it outside, that's great, but put it in a situation where it's not going to get any, you know, even morning sun can sunburn them. So it'd be, you know, part shade would be the ideal situation where no sun actually hits them. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you weren't there, I would not be here. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.